Well, good morning, church. I want to say good morning to all of you who are online. I remember um, middle school, fifth grade, sixth grade, somewhere in that ballpark. And I remember um, always kind of having this lump in my throat, like this, like I didn't want science class to come because I really didn't like science. I liked history. I love history. I love math. I love all that kind of stuff. But when science came, I don't know why. I always fell asleep in science. It was always boring. But I remember this one um, lesson when our, my teacher started to talk about like microscopes and telescopes. And we got the opportunity to analyze and look at some things underneath a, a, a microscope. And I was amazed how we were able to see intimate details of whatever object it was that we were looking at. And I remember like it was yesterday, um, our teacher going, how many of you in this room would believe me if I told you you could start a fire with a magnifying class, glass. And, and I remember like myself going, like I perked up, I leaned in, I was really curious by that. I was like, if that's true, that'd be kind of cool. And the class was kind of split 50-50 on that. And she started to explain the science of it. And I still can't tell you the science of it. Somehow it just takes a ray of light and magnifies it and whatever. But she, I was disappointed with the class because she wouldn't um, actually demonstrate it. So I thought, hey, I'm going to go home grab my dad's magnifying glass, find some dry grass and, and let it go, you know. And sure enough, it started fire and I thought it was amazing. And I thought I was like the next, you know, um, science guy. So I went around to my friends in the neighborhood. I was like, you guys, did you know you could start a fire with a magnifying glass? And they, I remember they looked at me like, bro, you can kill ants with a magnifying glass. And I remember just going, what? <laughs> some of you guys are like, are you serious? A similar effect happens, now hear me, a similar effect happens spiritually when we magnify God. When we zero in and enlarge certain aspects of who God is, the natural spiritual result is that it starts a fire in our hearts. When we enlarge and zoom in on aspects of who God is, it stirs up inside of us a desire and a passion to want to love him more. It produces joy and hope and awe and wonder. But also that fire that happens when we magnify him is also a purifying fire. It kills and removes parts of our lives that simply just need to go. Selfishness and fear, pride, insecurities, our greed, self-sufficiency, and any other sinful behavior that we have. And I love how Luke starts out this gospel. And he's writing to a friend by the name of Theophilus for the sole reason that Theophilus could have certainty of the hope that he can place his trust absolutely in these stories, that Jesus is worthy of all trust, that you can stake your life on it, come what may. And so he started to talk about certain stories about Elizabeth and Mary who got these crazy messages from Gabriel that they're going to have these miraculous births. And, and out of that, we see two responses to this message. Zechariah, as we saw last week, doubted and Mary surrendered and believed that. But now what we're going to see is Luke talking about the, what it looks like for one's faith that dares to believe that with God all things are possible. That what happens inside of a heart that dares to magnify the Lord. Now, I want to backtrack before we start to get into the Mary song, the Magnificat. I want to backtrack and look at verse 39 a little bit. So I'm going to read for us Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through 45. 
In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I love the intimate details that Luke gives here. Immediately, she went with haste. So Mary, if you recall, got this message from Gabriel that the Spirit of the Lord is going to overshadow her and she's going to conceive with, with the Messiah inside of her. She's going to give birth to the Lord and Savior, Jesus. And when she got that message, she was also told that her relative, Elizabeth, is with child as well. So when it says with haste, she went into the hill country, that means like within a day or two after receiving that message from Gabriel, she got her stuff together and hurried to travel 80 to 100 miles and in a hot desert climate as a young teenage girl to visit her relative Elizabeth. She went quickly to do that. Now, what I find fascinating, okay, and you just got to imagine being Theophilus and reading this for the first time, and you got to remember that Luke is a doctor who understands pregnancies, who understands the science behind all of that, okay? Mary shows up at the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth and she asks for Elizabeth and, and immediately Luke tells us that the baby in the womb of Elizabeth, the six-month-old uh, six fetus, leaps for joy. It's almost like John the Baptist's first prophecy. is The six-month fetus recognizes that Mary is carrying the Lord and Savior of all. When you think about this, okay, you got a six-month fetus responding in joy to the Savior of the world, and Mary is roughly anywhere between four to seven days pregnant. The baby in the womb of Mary is a zygote. And John the Baptist, as a six-month fetus, is leaping for joy, and Elizabeth even recognizes, like, imagine this, Elizabeth recognizes as she's inspired by the Holy Spirit that the zygote in Mary's womb is the Lord of Lords. Now, here's why I wanted to share this. It's because we see clearly in Scripture the importance of life. The last Sunday and this Sunday, churches across America are celebrating sanctity of life. And I think without apology, the Scriptures are clear that right at the moment of conception, personality is formed within the womb. John the Baptist was, was formed as a six-month fetus and recognizing being a prophet already in the womb of Elizabeth, leaping for joy when the presence of Jesus in the form of a zygote enters into the home. It's, it, this is a remarkable story full of truth. And it's just awe-inspiring when you read these things and you think about this story. This is, this is just crazy. You got Mary and Elizabeth, 
Two Jewish ladies who've been longing and praying for the Messiah to come. They show up. Elizabeth, who's old, is now having uh, an opportunity to bear a child for years. Been disappointed, as we discovered last week. Is now full of hope and expectancy. And Mary, who is in the prime of her youth, is with child showing up. And these two ladies are co-conspirators of God's plan to rescue humanity. This is a phenomenal story. And Luke pulls out clearly, clearly that the baby in Mary's womb is Lord. But what I want to highlight here is verse 45. Luke records something that Elizabeth says that I want to highlight. Luke says, And blessed is she who believed. In this book that you've got, I want to encourage you, underline that, take a note on that. Like, don't, don't lose sight of this because faith is an important element to what Luke is writing. He's writing to Theophilus that Theophilus would know with certainty. And we saw the contrast between Zechariah and Mary. And Elizabeth is making crystal clear that there's a blessedness when we believe. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, I want to talk about this for a moment because a lot of times in the church world, we oftentimes mistake belief with faith. And faith is also a word that can get lost in translation. We throw those things out a lot. You know, it's like, well, I believe because I'm a Christian. I believe I go to church. Yes, I believe something about Jesus. But belief apart from faith, apart from trust, is just intellectual belief. Saving faith has some teeth to it. It's not just we know some things and believe some things to be true. It's meaning that we're placing our trust in. So think about it this way. I know this is an illustration that many of you have probably heard before. The chair you're sitting on. You believe that the engineers long ago when they engineered this chair, that its design is to hold you up. You can sit down and it should hold you. But it's not faith yet. You just objectively know that until you sit down in that chair. You're placing your trust in that chair. And the fruit of faith, which is belief plus trust, is rest. Meaning you're not worried. None of you, I hope, none of you are sitting in that chair worrying if it's going to fall. If you are, you have problems. Or maybe it's just a really bad chair. It could be that too. <laughs> or your B.J. Ferguson. He did that to himself. I don't know if you heard that. He went, <clears throat> I'm going to get that. I know, I'm going to get that later. He did that himself. Y'all heard that. Come on. Grace, he set me up. Okay. But that's what faith is. And I think a lot of times in the church, we just automatically go, it's like, hey, I believe in the Lord. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But the reality is, biblical belief is trust in what you believe. And the fruit of that is rest, which is extremely important. If you have faith, if you have faith, you will begin to move away from a life of self-sufficiency, of a life of independence. You will move away from striving, earning to prove something to God or to others. You will be moving then towards a life of dependency, 
of resting in who God is and what God has said, relying that God is true, relying that God is faithful, relying that God is good, and submitting to him in all things. When you have faith, when you put your trust in your belief, it produces inside of you a calm reliance where you stop seeking God's approval by trying to do things and earn things. Elizabeth recognizes that Mary is blessed because she believes. That is important. Because if you remember, Luke said to Theophilus, nothing will be impossible for God. You need to settle that. Nothing will be impossible for God. And what I want to talk about now is what Luke naturally moves into. When you have a heart that truly believes, you placed your trust in who God is, the natural result is that you will desire and long to and want to magnify the Lord. And that's exactly what we see happening here with Mary. So let's look at this, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And I'm gonna, when you read scripture, don't let words just kind of like go in one ear out the other. Sit on certain words. Think about it. Chew on it. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in my God, my Savior. Mary's heart is on fire. She took a four-day journey from Nazareth to Elizabeth's home in light of the message that she got from Gabriel, thinking about God's faithfulness, thinking about God's goodness, thinking about God's sovereignty, thinking about God's mercy. She's magnifying. She's zooming in on a certain aspect of God and seeing just how great he is. And just like when we take a magnifying glass and allow the, the light rays to get through it, you can start grass on fire or kill ants if you prefer. When the Holy Spirit, when you start to zoom in on certain aspects of God in worship, it starts a fire in your heart. This is worship. And I need you to understand this. When you come into church and you sing some songs... And you leave unchanged, unmoved. I'm going to challenge that and say you didn't worship. You just sang. Because it's impossible for our hearts to remain the same after we have magnified the Lord. And that's what worship is. We're honing in. We're focusing on aspects of God. We just sang the last two songs on God's holiness. We were making great that aspect of God. Holy, holy are you, God. I, you are no one like you. You're set apart. You're, you're so pure that no eyes can even see you and live. When we do that, it starts to like burn in our hearts and deal with the sin. That's worship. And when we worship in spirit and truth, which are the worshipers that the Father is looking for, it's our whole self. It's our whole being. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in my God, my Savior. Now, all the while, I want you to think about this. She's saying this about the zygote in her womb. This is my Lord and my Savior. It's, it's just a mixture of a bunch of cells right now. 
And she's overwhelmed. She's magnifying the Lord, making great the Lord. When we magnify God, listen, we don't make God greater. God can't be greater. We don't make God larger. God can't get any larger. He's God. It's just that we're taking what we know to be true and we're beginning to experience things about God. I mean, how many of you have done, like, had this moment where you tasted and seen God or you had a moment to realize that like, God is faithful and you felt like, you're like, oh my goodness, God, I want to worship you. You are so good. You prayed and God heard you. That's magnifying the Lord. My soul is focusing on him. I'm making great the Lord. My spirit rejoices in my God, my Savior. Imagine what would happen in a church if we all came in truly worshiping and magnifying the Lord together. What would happen if I took one magnifying glass on top of another magnifying glass with the sun? I hear a rumor that it doubles the intensity. Imagine what that could happen like in, in a church when we gather together and we together focus and hone in on the greatness of who God is, whatever attribute of God that we're focusing in. What do you think that will do in our hearts? It will grow a passion for him. And it will drive us towards holiness. And when she's doing this, she's magnifying the Lord because she recognizes certain things that God has done, not just for her, but that God has done and will be doing for the whole world. And that's what this whole song is rejoicing in. So let's look at this. Luke 1, 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Every action you see in here, this is, this is really fascinating, is in the aorist tense. It's in the past tense, but it's speaking as if it will be accomplished in the present and in the future. Because a lot of these things, this is like pre-gospel stuff. Like, because Jesus is still in the womb. He hasn't come out. He hasn't died on the cross. He hasn't resurrected. The Holy Spirit hasn't come. But she's speaking as if all of these things have already happened. That's faith. She's believing and trusting that all of these things not only have happened in the past, but they are happening now and will happen in the future. And that's what happens when you magnify the Lord. It just stirs up this faith inside of you. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Now this, a lot of people would say, like, when she said this, she's mentioning or referencing her poverty. That she's a poor peasant teenage girl from a village of Nazareth. Yeah, we don't want to downplay that or neglect that. But that's not what the, the overtone is here. It's speaking about our spiritual poverty. When she says this, she's realizing and acknowledging that there's nothing that I can bring to the table. I can't save myself. I can't deliver myself. I can't change myself. There's nothing that we can do as a people to save and deliver our nation, to redeem and rescue humanity. We are a spiritually needy and helpless and broken people. And here's the beauty. When you magnify God and you see that this God who is holy has drawn near has become mindful of us. How can you not worship? How can you not be in awe of such a God? He has looked upon my humble estate. 
I have nothing to offer him. There's nothing that I can do to change any of this. I'm blessed by this. And yeah, she has this unique blessing because she's going to be the mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, that nobody else will ever get to experience. Not to say that Mary should be worshipped. That is wrong. Mary should never be worshipped. Honored and blessed because she has this unique opportunity, 100%. But the reality is we too are blessed because when we're born again, we place our trust and faith in Jesus. Guess who lives inside of us? Jesus. And so we too are blessed. Our world has made it crystal clear. I don't know if you noticed this, that people are lost. People are sinful. People are selfish. We're lost. I'm lost without Jesus. I'm sinful. The blessing comes from those who understand and are aware of their neediness. The blessing of God comes to those who are aware of their humble estate before God. Jesus makes this clear. I didn't come for the healthy. Who did he come for? The sick. Those who recognize their spiritual condition. And out of this, like as she's magnifying the Lord, she remembers and notices, oh my goodness, in verse 49, he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I mean, it just dawned on her, like I, I am, I have the baby of, of, of God, like Jesus is in my womb. Like, oh my goodness, what Gabriel said that the spirit would overshadow me and overpower me has happened. He has done mighty things and she's also speaking prophetically because Jesus has yet to perform the mighty heroics. Jesus has yet to go to the cross and conquer death in the tomb. Yeah, powerful. He's done mighty things for me. Holy is his name. She's just overwhelmed as she's magnifying and zoning in on this aspect of God. She can't get over the fact that who would do this? Who is like him? I don't know how else to describe him. Like, folks, when we get to see God for who he is, holiness is probably the best attribute that we can assign at that moment. Because you can't compare God to anything. Holy is his name. That's a heart on fire. Mary is connecting Old Testament prophecies with their present reality. Imagine this. Imagine one of the Christmas verses that we love to read during the Christmas season. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Did Mary know this? Uh Uh-huh. Do you think Mary is zoning in on that prophecy as she's thinking about baby Jesus in her womb? I mean, just, what else could you say besides holy? And not only that, she's recognizing God being true to his word. The promises he's made to Abraham and David is true and seeing it and understanding that it's being fulfilled inside of her. Mercy to those who fear you, who respect you, 
who believe you, who are aware of their spiritual condition before you. He has shown strength with his arm. Verse 51. Look at, hear these things in the past tense. Now she's speaking about the effects of the kingdom of God in the gospel. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. She's realizing what this means. Not just in her own life, but she's also realizing what this means to the world's operating systems. I mean, this is, this is there are some theologians, like I, I read this in one of the commentaries that I was reading, that there was um, one theologian was encouraging a missionary that was going to these third world nations that were like tribal nations saying, don't teach this story until they understand Jesus a little bit more. Because if they read this story and didn't understand the way of Jesus, they would think that they could start a rebellion and overthrow their government. Like these were like massive revolutionary words, and they are. It's the idea of the kingdom of God reversing all things, flipping everything upside down. It is the opposite of the world's operating systems. This is what she's realizing as she's magnifying the Lord and understanding the gospel in its entirety. He has shown strength with his army. He has scattered the proud in, their thoughts, uh, in the thoughts of their hearts. Those who think they're good enough, strong enough, able enough. Those who see no need for God, who see God as only a crutch. To those who would consider themselves healthy, you can't touch my power, my influence. I'm wealthy. I got a good back, background, education. Anybody who thinks they're wise in their own eyes, proud in the inner hearts. He has shown strength. Primarily through Jesus. The foolishness of God is wiser than the, wise, the wisdom of man. We see rulers in the Old Testament who thought they were all that. Rulers who thought they were untouchable and God just takes them down in his time. He scatters the proud. He brings down the mighty from their thrones. All leaders die. All kingdoms vanish. All kingdoms are shaken except his. He has shown the strength with his arm, Jesus. He has brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted those of humble estate. I love this because this is where I want to land for us. In verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Yeah, I know it's tempting to take this in the literal sense even though we don't want to neglect that because it's important for the church to minister to those who are in need, but that's not the idea here. He has filled the hungry with good things. Those who are aware of their spiritual need, those who understand that they're spiritually broken and lost and have nothing to offer, and there is blessing in this. This is a done deal. 
This is a guarantee that God will fill, God will meet every need you have in Christ Jesus. He has filled the hungry with good things. I mean, I want to read for you, for you some scriptures that speak into this promise. Psalm 107, verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 42, 1 through 2, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. When shall I come and peer before God? Psalm 81, 10, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I love this. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I love that Seth brought to our attention that a lot of times we're not good with being honest. If we were honest, we would gladly admit our spiritual need, our spiritual depravity. I think of that one hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I feel that often. I'd rather magnify other things than magnify him. But we're poor and needy. And there's beautiful promise in this. The promise is that God would satisfy, he would fill us with these things. Listen to me, okay? Dry seasons are sometimes the greatest blessings in your life. Valleys, not in the moment. Oftentimes afterwards, we recognize that valleys, dry seasons, desert seasons, what have you, are sometimes the greatest blessings we can have. Spiritual hunger is to be in a blessed state. In fact, spiritual hunger is the prescription to be spiritually healthy. You, you can't magnify God and be full of yourself. You, you just can't. You can't worship God and worship yourself. That, that, is, that is a contradiction. Every time we magnify God, every time we magnify God and he's made greater, the result has to be we get smaller. Has to be. Now look at these, these, these blessings that we see in this. In fact, the church needs to pay um, heed to this because there's even a warning to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 9. The church looked good. The Spirit of the Lord warns them, for I say I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. And the Spirit of the Lord says, yet you're not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And you hear the Spirit wooing the church back. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire, so that you may be rich, white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness would not be seen. We see Jesus teaching in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are you who thirst. Like I know some of you are like, can you stop preaching right now because I am hungry and you're thinking about where you're going to go to lunch. Have you ever felt that spiritually? 
Like, do you realize that Jesus calls us to be spiritually, like, just starving for him? And that's to be in a blessed state. God, oh my God, my soul longs for you. It pants, like the deer pants for water. That's how I feel. And God's like, you're blessed. That is a great place to be. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for it, for they shall be satisfied, promised, guaranteed. Do you just believe that intellectually or do you trust in that? Because if you trust in that, you'll rest in it. John 4, verse 14, Jesus speaking, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 6, 35, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Spiritual awareness of our need and humble estate is a blessing. It's God's mercy that makes him draw near to us. What blessings come from believing in God for which nothing is impossible? And blessed is she who has believed who is trusted in the words that were spoken. You can be blessed this morning if you dare to believe. You will see things of God if you choose to magnify him. And I want you to hear this as I wrap up. Our lives will always Reflect what we magnify. Always. The fruit of it is clear. If we magnify anything other than the Lord Jesus, there will be no rest. There will be no peace. There will only be strife, effort, vain effort, fear, pride, insecurity, anxiousness, and worry. We have seen that full-blown. We have magnified politics. We have magnified the COVID-19 virus, not downplaying any of that. Don't hear that. We have magnified the economy, and we have magnified bank accounts. We have magnified ourselves and, and humanism. We love to magnify our strengths and even magnify our weaknesses if we tend to be the, those who like to be more insecure. We love to magnify our accomplishments and our pedigrees or our lack if you magnify any of these things or anything else that is not the Lord Jesus, it will only freeze and harden your heart. But if you choose to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ, it produces a fire in your life. A fire that consumes and softens your heart. That gives you passion and purpose, a hope and peace and rest and fulfillment. The choice is ours. What will we magnify? And as we conclude this morning, I want us to think about that. As we use this last song, let's just not have this song as a throwaway, as a transition from one part of the service to the next part of the service, thinking that we're getting closer to lunch. Use this as an opportunity 
To allow the Lord to, to work in your heart, to focus in on who he is. To choose to trust him, to place your faith in him. And even if you're in a dry spot, a weary spot, a valley, even if you're stuck in a sin, God is merciful. That's a recognition of your spiritual poverty. Bring that to him. There is a promise. You will be filled. And if there is a sin in your life, let the, let the light of Christ lead you to repentance, confess it, move away from it. And if you feel like you're in a valley carrying burdens, dry, weary, wait for the Lord. He knows what he's doing. He will lead you through that wilderness. There is blessedness in our spiritual hunger. Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts and minister to our hearts in a way that only you can. God, we ask that you would use these final moments just in this service, but even use through the whole day, the rest of the day, to help us understand more of you. You are holy. Your name is holy. Lord, I know there's some of my brothers and sisters in this room that feel like all they could say this morning is, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And you say that is a blessed place to be. To be aware of our helpless state. Lord, we ask that you would be our daily bread. We know you are, but give us the courage and the, and the confidence to place our trust in that. Oh, my soul, magnify the Lord. In Christ's name.